All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? To be fair, I have my Mike and Ike's, and I've counted them out. Yeah, I've had that bag for like a week. Good for you. Yeah, so it's cool because I'm sorry, people. We're talking diet stuff here, but because we're fat. <laughs> we're not fat. We're doing all right. We're but um, it says you can have like 16 pieces per serving. It's like 110 calories, but I usually just eat 15 to keep it even. But uh, obviously, there's no nutritional value there, so I have to make sure I'm getting all my other. But stuff it's there. also you take your multivitamins and yeah. stuff, and it's also like for me sometimes after I eat, I just want a little something sweet. So like, right, like, and that's really why the only reason why I do it. So for today, when I had um, lunch, I had left the leftover roast beef um, and vegetables. But then I'm like, oh, I want something just a little sweet, but I don't want, because we have ice cream, and I'm like, I don't want, like, a full bowl of ice cream. I just want something <laughs> a little bit chocolatey. So I looked on the um, package. We had these snow snow caps, the little chocolate nonpareils. Yeah, I think it's because I got, like, our company at Amazon gives away little snack packs with, to appreciate the drivers and whatnot, but, you know, they send you with a lot of shit that's really not good for you. Now, granted... The little bag of Doritos I had was very little, so I, it wasn't that bad. And they lasted... You didn't dig I, right into them. No. But they I, were only like 130 calories for the little bags. Right. So. so it's all about moderation. That's where we're at right now. So. And that's what we're practicing, honestly. We're really just trying to get back into a more moderation. Right. And any time that we go over, we, we're making sure that we're looking at what we had left over throughout the week. And we've done this before, we just never stuck with it, so it's really... Well, we we have to preface that with, we both have lost a ton of weight. Right. But we were kind of creeping up, because we weren't really paying attention to our portion sizes. We were still yeah, that's eating it. Yeah, we were healthy, doing, right. but we would eat, like, 
a whole thing (laughs) instead of like a serving right so like you know popcorns you know i could have like 14 chips or whatever uh but then it became like "Mm, the whole bag is just so fucking good Mm -hmm. so it's really just a matter of like cutting down how much we're eating and and i've been starting like trying to and i'm gonna have to order some stuff instacart i've been trying to portion everything out for us and i'm gonna I'm going to, I don't know, we still have some chicken left, but I might... i got to get into some of that tonight. I mean, I don't want to go bad. I mean, I can make some chicken salad if you want. Do you like chicken salad? Uh, I'd eat it. I mean, at this stage, it's just a matter of using because I know you got a couple of packs that you haven't cooked yet. Mm-hmm. Anywho, Anywho let's DJ Nubis and DJ Neko with you on Meltdown Radio. We're here talking Weight Watchers. <laughs> Download the MyFitnessPal app and be our friend. <laughs> yeah. We're here with uh, episode 108 of the Hordes of Chaos. Mm-hmm. Do you like my my Maryland Death Fest sweatshirt? Yeah, I kind of wish it was going on this year. I know it's not going to happen, but... Uh, yeah, I'm just... I'm ready. It's been a couple of years. Which we're going to get to in one of our topics because it's March Madness and we're watching a little bit of basketball and a little bit of Mortal Kombat that I've been playing continually, but... Uh, and I feel like we're, like, with... COVID. Everybody is done with COVID. Everybody is is over COVID. And, and I get it. It's still out there. It's still happening. I'm going to get my shot on Monday. Um, but I feel like now that we're starting to lift restrictions, I, I really do hope it starts feeling more like normal life. Because, you know, for us, we are homebodies to a point, but like we always would, especially when I was traveling, when I would be home, we would always have something planned, like a little concert or a show or a house party or something. Yeah, anything. And we haven't really done anything. I mean, I think we had lunch with a friend once. Well, I know you're doing something sad tomorrow. I am I am going to the nail salon. Big, big news there. <laughs> but, uh, you know... Today we've got a few different things to talk about. Um, like I said, March Madness we'll get to a little bit. Um, there's a Audrey Hepburn doc that we're going to talk about. Mm, Striper her. had an interesting article on LouderSound.com about their heyday in the 80s and how they brought Christianity to the glam rock scene because they were part of that big L.A. thing when Rat and Doc and a lot of those bands were there. So we'll get into a little bit of that. We have... Uh, Neko's pick for the Retro DVD Vault, mm-hmm. uh, which was really good. We enjoyed that again the other night. Um, it's one of my favorite, favorite movies ever. You got know. Neko's pick of the week in the rock block. A lot of new stuff in there. I got a lot of stuff coming from the uh, promotional sites and labels that I work with, so you're going to be hearing a lot of tunes from them. That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, we got a lot of good stuff lined up. In fact, I think... None of the stuff I have is anything old. Like, usually I try to mix in a little bit of classic stuff. We have one classic thing. It's mine. <laughs> right. Basically. <laughs> That's basically it really what it is. is. And it's classic. Um, have some new Carnivorous Forests. Um, Pope Richard in here this, this week. So we'll uh, check that out in a little bit. There, I did my thing. That, the ooh. ooh. Fucking dark crystal ass shit. <laughs> I'm so happy that I get to do this with you every week. I um Yeah, she's been working really hard for this new job, so like this is kinda like her way of just unloading. 
And we get to hang out. Like, I know we hang out, like, and just at night, at, but, like, this is us hanging out, like, spending a good chunk of time together, and we get to talk, and it doesn't feel like we're, we're not putting on a show for you guys. It feels like we're just talking and, and enjoying ourselves. Yeah, you know, and I, 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 while Neko was busy today, uh, with work and her mother, um, I took the time to check out Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode one. Ah! You motherfucker! But, uh, we're gonna get into that much later, because I gotta let Neko catch up. Um, the other thing is, I I think... Motherfucker. I think Neko and I are still debating whether or not we're going to watch the Justice League Snyder Cunt Cut. Cunt? <laughs> cunt Cut, yeah. <laughs> That's what we call it. Um, I'm very hesitant to watch it. I've uh, never seen the original cut. Um, well, the one consistent thing between those that like Snyder and those that don't, and those that didn't like the, the original release, because Joss Whedon, who usually puts out some pretty good stuff, uh, apparently butchered the shit out of the Justice League, which I did see, and I didn't like it. No, I just didn't like it because there was a lot of other problems with it that wasn't Joss Whedon, but... I also think, um, from... I've never... I've never seen it. I'm just going by what, you know, friends have commented on about... They they tried to do too much in one movie, and even though the Justice League movie was already quite lengthy... Nothing felt like it was wrapped up. But they feel like when they saw the Snyder Cut, it, it did a better job. Yeah, and, you know, normally I just kind of be like, do I really want to sit through this? I mean, we don't have to sit in one sitting, obviously. Because I have heard it's like four hours long. Right, but there was an interesting point someone made about, in fact, it was Joshua Gray, because I was watching his his. He's our buddy. Uh, he loved it, and he was like, pointed out one of the things that he liked was that apparently at some point Batman is there when Harley Quinn dies. Harley and Quinn dies? Apparently. I did not notice either. And I don't know when, how, within this timeline because... Because, like, you got Suicide Squad that happened after that. Well, Josh said Suicide Squad happened before, but then he said Birds of Prey happened after. So I don't know exactly what that means in the timeline, but... Because I think, I honestly think when this was all, like, kind of... When Zack Snyder, for it, he was supposed to be taking control of this universe. Right. And, uh... So, anyway, the the, the thing was, Harley had te- apparently had said something to Batman that... I want you to kill the Joker slowly. And so, like, I really find that fascinating because I do like Harley Quinn as a character. I do like Batman. Uh, I don't really care for Affleck's Batman, but, um, Neko hasn't seen Wonder Woman or Aquaman. Those are the only two movies out of this whole universe that I really kind of like. Uh, so I'm interested. I'm intrigued about Justice League. I just, it's going to be one of those things I think that she's, she and I is going to have to sit down for like one hour each. Apparently it's broken up in the chapter, so that makes it a little bit easier. It sounds very much like Zack Snyder. Right. Uh, but you know, I'm not really, you know, again, I've, I've heard mixed reviews. Some people not that crazy about it. They say some of the music is off. Um, some say that it's just, it could have been done in two and a half hours. Maybe, maybe not. Josh Gray said it was four hours is good, especially for the platform that it was put on. You can't do it in a theater because no one's going to sit there for four hours, but uh, 
it, it's interesting. We'll have to kind of debate that going forward. Uh, as far as Falcon and the Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. it's another kind of slow start. Like, um, like WandaVision? Sort of, but I think that's what we're going to get out of some of these series. It, but it's very good, it's very intriguing, and it has some, it's an emotional thing. And those too. two are amazing together. Yeah, and, they, and the funny thing is, episode one, they haven't even connected yet, so that's what you're going to find interested about that. Um, it's so funny because the movies, everything plays off a different way. When it gets to the series, it's like you're getting more involved with the characters themselves. So, Well, what I find interesting is, you know, whoever is running the business behind Marvel... Are, are just doing it a lot better than what DC is. And um, these shows, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, right now with what's happening with the world and things haven't quite opened up yet, they Marvel came up with ways to keep moving forward. And, you know... Initially, these shows were supposed to be like little side things. And, oh, yeah, this is extra. This is something that you want to watch extra. But because they haven't been able to release, like have these big releases. Black Widow is supposed to come out. And and the Doctor Strange movie is supposed to come out. But they haven't been able to do it. Or they're holding back finishing it because they want to be able to have the big movie release. Like in the box yeah, office. I, from what I understand, Black Widow is ready to go. They just... They don't want. They don't want to release it on HBO Max like everything else is. So, I think because these we're getting these little shows, they're kind of becoming the forefront instead of the movies, and it's kind of coming like out of order the way that Marvel wanted us to see it. But people are really like kind of, you know holding on to it they're they're really responding well that's because somehow somewhere along the line marvel just decided that okay we have these series of movies and tv shows that we can put into a timeline but because it depends on when they're made Mm -hmm. we're just going to play some whatever and then you know obviously people who are more in tune with this whole comic book thing know exactly how this shit falls in line and that's kind of like when I, you and I just kind of read up on that and say, okay, so this happens then, there's this. DC, uh, from what I kind of understand is like Zack Snyder and company have kind of decided that like we're not going to worry too much about what Marvel's doing. Now, they're trying their best to do somewhat of a timeline, but obviously... There's no timeline from what I'm <laughs> right, gathering. Right, I And I this kind of brings up an interesting point, too. Like, just because of the state of movies, the state of Marvel, the state of DC, is it good, and I, I heard this on another show, is it good right now that the biggest things that we're talking about in the movie industry is a re-release of a 2014 movie and these little sideshows? Is this showing that, you know, the movie industry is hurting or is it just showing that people are just so desperate to get back to movies but because of the way the world is right now, we can't? Well, that's a good point because one of the topics we're going to get to in our first break actually deals with a person, an actor, and uh, a series of movies he did back in the 90s and where, because of COVID, there was it was very difficult to put new releases out. A lot of people found themselves going back to older movies 
and discovered them for the first time, and that's kind of like revitalized all those old movies. So they're like, we need more, we need more. Right, so we're going to get into all that. Uh, but what's on our first block? Our first block, we have some fossilization from uh, Everlasting Spew Records, Mist Weaver, and brand new stuff from Grave Carver, Grave Carver kicking it off with Morbid Domination. Nice. Morbid Dominion. Mor morbid Dominion. Dominion. All right, here we go. Grave Carver.
Looking for great deals on classic and modern rock and metal cassettes? Looking for those rare and classic cassettes from the good old days? Then Tomas Sabinski is the answer. So find your way to Discogs.com and look for seller name Nightwanderer. Tomas not only has excellent and fair prices, but puts extra care when shipping out to customers so that the product arrives undamaged and unscathed. And trust me, I've bought a lot of stuff from him. Comes in top fashion and great, great looks. Again, go to Discogs.com and search Nightwanderer. DJ Nubis. I'm DJ Neko. Here with you on Metal Time Radio Podcast. Hordes of Chaos, episode 108. So. so <laughs> March Madness 2021. Like, I didn't even know it was happening. And I. Well, that's that's just how under the radar. Snuck up on you. Yeah, because it, 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 everything, when it comes to sports, everything's been kind of weird. Because COVID, especially this year, like I was telling you the other night. For the first time in 25 years, the Duke Blue Devils are not in the tournament because they only have like a 13-11 record. They were actually considered to get in there, but I didn't even know they were playing college basketball like oh, at all. Right, it's like you just wouldn't expect it, and uh, it was so weird because so many teams had some off-the-wall records. Like Virginia finished like 17 or 8, I think, and normally they play like I don't know, fucking. 24 to 25 games, maybe more than that. Um, usually it's like, that. well, usually their record's like 30 and something. But anyway, uh, March Madness kicked off. Last night it was uh, like the four to get in. Like it was like four separate games where these teams that were on the outside looking in got a chance to get these last two bids or whatever it is that they get. And uh, so today was the first day of the tournament, you know, in terms of the actual tournament. It's been pretty exciting so far. We actually ordered Hulu um, because I I cut cable out um, recently for us because we just don't, like, we don't use it. So we'll have Hulu for, like, a month while we're watching March Madness. Then I'll cancel that. And then, like, when football starts up, I'll start up Hulu again just so we can watch the games. I just... I feel like it's so expensive for. I mean, even Hulu's kind of expensive. I think it was like sixty-five bucks. So yeah, it's. But I mean, Hulu, to their defense, they have like a lot of movies and stuff to offer as well. But uh, certainly at this stage, if you because the one thing you point yeah, but out, we also have Disney Plus and Amazon and Netflix. And that's if we didn't said. have any of that, we yes, I'd keep Hulu. Right, but the, you, you made a good point about like. There's no contract, so like I don't have to worry about staying tied to Verizon for two years. And that or... was that was our biggest mistake many years ago when we decided to let the stupid Comcast guys come in and sweet talk us. We had the we had the sweet deal. We had the sweet sweet deal. We had the the gigabit connection, and then when FiOS first came into our neighborhood, they were offering these like mini packages. So we had local TV. And the only channels that were cable that we had were sports channels. So all your ESPNs, the NFL Network, the NFL Red Zone. And they don't do that anymore. You have to actually buy a cable package. Well, we didn't. We just bought the sports package for 30 bucks. So we had internet and 
the sports package for what, like a hundred and twenty dollars. Yeah. And that was having the gigabit upload and download. So we were very happy, but then Comcast comes in and they were some really good salespeople. They're like, We got this app and we got this and oh we're gonna give well, you that a was great a selling deal. point and I, I really didn't think about it at the time that we were doing it was Verizon has their own app. And it sucks. No, Verizon was good. Comcast had their own app. No, Verizon didn't have the app. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. Comcast does. Uh, they would enable you to watch their content on, like, Roku. So if I wanted to access the channels we have on the actual box, I could do it on the, the app on the Roku. And you wouldn't even have to have, like, a cable box. You could just use their app, kind of like you do with Hulu or right. any of those Sling TV. But the thing that I didn't take into consideration was the... The bandwidth, the, the internet so bandwidth. Bad. Yeah, so that's where Verizon just conquers all because they're they're able to give you like the highest speed possible with internet, whereas Comcast can't. So I'd get a lot of buffering and the channels wouldn't come up. Because with the FiOS, it's pure fiber, and yeah. we were when they came into our neighborhood, we were like one of their first customers so they they put the line right to your house where comcast they don't they put it out to like the utility area where all the electrical wires and all the other old cable wires are so that that's kind of how verizon really like they just have the speed they have the shittiest app they have the shittiest website they have the shittiest customer <laughs> You're service right. But they know that they've got a good product, and we've already we've left and come back already. So we were on Comcast for like three months before we came back. Like that's just we had to like put our tails between our legs and say, "Please accept us back." Yeah, and then they're like, "Yeah, yeah." Now we're gonna charge you everything. Now, if you want what you used to have, you have to have this package. And we're like, and it's so dumb because I remember Neko having to make that call, and the guy on the other end was desperately trying to keep her to stay with Verizon. We're just like, you don't have this app, the fancy shiny app. That Everything's I about a fucking app, you know. We're so like, so now Anubis, he lets me do all the the mean talking because he we're we, when we make decisions about things, he's like, I'm not making decisions. The last time I made a decision, we lost our good package with Verizon. <laughs> yeah, it was a shitstorm. But anyway. Anyway, back to March Madness. We're very happy with Hulu. So if you are looking for something where you just want to have cable for a month or two, you know, order Hulu. They offer, like, a trial, too. Well, the biggest thing is invest in Roku. I'm telling you now, um, even if you think that paying for, like, three and four apps... A month is bad. It's actually much better than paying for full-fledged cable because you're going to be. We had a cable package that even with the basic that we had plus the sports stuff, we rarely even watched it. And you can get the sports stuff on Hulu, right? Plus live, and it's still going to be cheaper than what it was combined with the cable and the internet. So, right. So the point was is that you know you don't want to be tied up in long contracts. And it's, but I wanted to kind of get back to the March Madness because, you know, it's been a couple of years. They didn't have one last year for 2020, so that meant that the Virginia Cavaliers, yes, that's our team, were still champions during that time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, UVA. Oh God, remember we were watching it. We were out, and yeah. we were watching it. We were at 
Sparta well, we, in. It was right before. Um, that was the Auburn game. That was right before the national championship game. And then at the national championship game, we watched at home. And I think. And then we ordered all the t-shirts and stuff. Well, I just remembered. I think I was supposed to work that night. But then they said they didn't need me. I'm like, good. Because I'm celebrating, motherfuckers. Yeah, give me a beer. You're right. Um. So, yeah. Basically, there's been a there's been one episode already. It's number two, Ohio State. They lost to number 15, Oral Roberts today. Uh, and Oregon State right now is beating Tennessee. Uh, Oregon State's 12th ranked, and Tennessee is 5th. So those are a couple of surprises. But the rest of the games have been very competitive, even though the teams that won generally won. Uh, yeah, but the upsets have been pretty competitive. They weren't. That's what I like. I, I like, you know, Oral Roberts. Well, yeah, it wasn't no... Blowout. Like it was for Virginia a couple of years ago when we lost a fucking. Who's the fucking local team? Baltimore Community. It was like, College, it was like Mount St. Mary's or, or. Yeah, it was some bullshit, I'll tell you that. And then luckily Virginia got their shit together and got it all done the next year. But anywho, we want to touch on that for those that weren't aware. March Madness is alive and well. It's playing right now. They obviously have half filled stadiums and whatnot because they got to stay COVID regulated. But they're out there. Uh, in so other happy. news, we were talking about earlier. Venom 2 gets delayed. Marvel drops Not a new that. Loki poster, and it's officially... J- Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, Way to go, Scott. Yeah. Didn't have it on mute. Mm-hmm. You yell at me. <laughs> so Amazon Prime is in development with the idea of bringing back or creating Ace Ventura 3. Which I'm very happy about. Now, part of this is because there's been this resurgence in all the 90s and 80s movies because there hasn't been any really new content out there. We've had new movies, obviously, that go HBO Max on demand, but as far as like going to the theaters and stuff, there hasn't been a whole lot of stuff to check out. So, a lot of apparently a lot of people in general have been going back to older movies and checking them out. And even, even we have with our retro DVD vault. Right. So you have all these younger people now checking out movies like Ace Ventura who had never seen it. Now, Neko and I have our doubts about Ace Ventura 3 because of the times that we live in now. Because we've already known, we've already heard the problems that people have with Ace Ventura. Like, they go back now and they see... And they're says, like, oh, it's it's and offensive. It's cancel, yeah, the cancel culture, the, the uh, PC crowd that doesn't really like the jokes or do get it or understand it. So... We're kind of uh, doubtful that Ace Ventura 3 will actually keep up with what it did in the first two movies. And even though the second one wasn't quite as good as the first, they're still both very much... Oh my much... god. The, the, the second one when he's coming out of the rhino's asshole. That's like... Or like bangs the chieftain's daughter or some shit before a wedding night mm-hmm. or some shit. But, you know, uh, if, they, if, if Jim Carrey goes in there and he keeps it legit you know that'd be great i mean we watched coming to america too and it wasn't bad it was cute you know but it it's more of on the the side of it's a cute family movie where coming to america one was a little bit more raunchier and like yeah well obviously the second one they started doing all the politically correct things they started making more women empowerment and that that's all fine but you know that's that's sort of the i i call it sort of the problem because then you take away your creative freedom when you don't allow people to just do what they usually do uh now obviously i think eddie murphy was like 
He's he's also he doesn't do as much uh, raunchy comedy anymore. Right. So. so I think a big part of that's him too. So that's his decision on a lot of that stuff. So. But. You know, it is what it is. We'll see how it goes. Um, I am desperate to see a hysterical Ace Ventura. Like, you and I always kind of joke about this, but I I, I said to Anubis one time, I'm like, who pitched the idea of Ace Ventura? Like, all right, there's this guy, and he is a detective for lost pets. And then... The Miami Dolphins snowflake gets gets captured, and he has to find it. And it turns out it's an ex-football player who's now posing as a woman who's actually your boss. Like who who pitched that? Who made that up? Like I that's why I think it's so funny because it's it's a absolutely like if you would give someone a description of the movie they would be like i'm not watching that that sounds like a terrible thing and then you watch it and you're like this is the funniest thing i've seen in a long time well i think the one thing that worked in carrie's favor was that he was just coming off in living color that show Mm -hmm. so that played a big part of it and and that show honestly was like it was kind of like I mean, you know, J-Lo was a fly girl. I don't know if you know that. She was one of the dancers on In Living Color. Um, It was kind of like that underground comedy show. You you know, it wasn't like, oh, this is Saturday Night Live. This is In Living Color. But, like, Jim Carrey was posing as a female... Bodybuilder, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, like, you know, that shit just wouldn't fly now. But at the time, uh, you know, they allowed that kind of stuff, and... Nobody was making, you know, everyone saw it as jokes, which is really what it was. And, you know, now you just can't do that stuff. But that was like a platform for a lot of the comedians that came out of that show. Damon Wayans. A lot of the Wayans. Wayans. Yep. A lot of them came out of there. Um, You know, that was that was their springboard, basically. But in this day and age, I just don't know how they're going to do an Ace Ventura movie because, you know, it doesn't really, it's, unless you cut it up. To the point that, um, you know, you can't do all the jokes and stuff like that, then I just, I don't know. And then some people argue, though, they're like, well, if you can't be funny without offending people, well, Well, it's kind of like we were talking about the other day. mm -hmm. When, because we've gone to many comedy shows, and they are funny, but if you take it out of context, and just like, post, or whatever they're saying you're like that's really not that funny but comedy sometimes is meant to be offensive you know well and, that, and that's true we alatori is one of these youtube personalities that i follow and she said the very same thing she's like if it's not offensive it's not doing its job because it doesn't matter who it is it could be any topic and it doesn't have to be about gays or trans vestites or women or anything it could be gender yeah it could be against anybody and it could be uh, against you right and normally neko and i can uh, attest to this is that we've gone to live comedy shows and we have been picked on by the 
comedian, not harshly or anything, but yeah, they're not like you ugly fat people. They're 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 funny. They try to be funny. That's what it is. Right. They're really just trying to make people. They have they just use people in the audience for their comedy, and that's the thing. So it, it's not for everyone. Like that's, but you can say that about anything. Like, and that's where the difference is. It's your personal choice what you find funny and what you don't. But don't try to cancel something just because you don't like it. Go do something else. Go do something else. Yeah. It's really, that's what it's about. I just get tired of people trying to tell me what I need to be able to watch or what I want to watch. Watch or listen to. If you don't fucking like Richard Pryor or Eddie Murphy or Dice Clay, don't fucking watch or listen to it. Go. There's plenty of comedians out there who do exactly what you want. They tell you these nice little safe jokes that don't do anything. Uh, I'm a big fan of that girl, Nikki Glazer or whatever her name is, because she is fucking raunchy as hell. So any woman or person that doesn't like her can fuck the right off. You're like, fuck off. I want to listen to my raunchy, uh, my raunchy comedy. She's hilarious. I think, see, that's, I am like 100% in agreement with you on, on like so much, but then you get to a line, like, and the line keeps getting thicker and thicker and thicker so they would always talk about like comedians you know walking that thin line is it is it offensive or is it funny is it hate speech or is it funny and now it seems like you know unless you're making a joke about you know a cat farting it it's you know you're offending everybody it's hard to say now what is i mean people were talking about simple things like tweets are inciting hate speech it's a tweet it is 140 characters that is pretty much from just some random noob on the internet that people are like oh that's hate speech and then they start like you know loading up on the person i don't i don't even know where to go like you can't i hope like i look back at old things that it'll flashback and be like on this day back in you know 12 years ago I, I i look at those things for me when i was younger and i'm like yeah i am an older and more mature person so hopefully what i wrote back then is not like well but, i yeah i just read a journalist lost her job because of a tweet she made when she was a teenager oh my goodness really yeah so but you know it's like that, I forget his name, he's the white dude, the big dude with the belly that wears, go usually goes shirtless. He's a comedian. The Machine? The Machine. The Machine. Mm-hmm. He uh, talked at one time about his kids and his Brooke daughters. Brooke Chrysler. Yeah, the, the period party. Mm-hmm. That's going to offend somebody. I don't care who it is. Or someone is going to be offended by that. But I don't give a shit. That's That shit's funny. And he's telling it from his own perspective for his own family. it's him and... Against all his... He's got daughters and a wife. It's him against them. And he's a man trying to deal with adolescent girls. Right. You know, getting their periods. So it's just... At, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what it is. There's always going to be something that's going to offend somebody. And we have to learn to get past that. Like, you just... If you're not doing the research before you go to a comedy show, then that's your fault. That isn't anybody else's fault. That's your fault. So do you think that... Jim Carrey, because remember we watched that um, documentary when he was doing um, Man on the Moon, and he like, Man on the Moon, and he thought, like, he really thought he was Andy Kaufman. Do you, 
like he Jim Carrey is a little bit of an odd person sometimes so do you think that it's gonna be like Jim Carrey is gonna go full-fledged and he like kind of dives into what he does or do you think he's gonna be careful and not dive back into Ace Ventura talking with his ass asking for say. some Banaka or an Altoid that's going to be interesting because apparently the tie-in with that Sonic the Hedgehog stuff that he was in, he was making references to Ace Ventura. That's kind of how this started. So, obviously it's a kid's movie, so it's not going to have any of that vulgar stuff. But, you know, I just, I don't know what to expect. Um, I mean, kids love it when you talk with your butt. I mean, that's that's children's toilet humor. That's the hilarious. You could bring that back and not offend anyone unless, like, somebody's like, oh, this is offensive because I don't have an asshole and I, I feel offended because you're making me feel bad because I don't have an asshole and you have an asshole, so now you're talking out of your asshole. I, I don't know. I mean, have they said about who they're trying to get back or, I mean... No, it's very early in the works, but, um... Yeah, I just, I really don't know what to expect from it, but it's either, really, it's either going to get crucified or it's going to be praised. That's just kind of how it is now because there's some critics out there who totally love the direction we're going in where you just get silenced for any kind of vulgar comedic approach that you have, and then there's others that are praising you for sticking with it and just doing what you do. I mean, at what point, though, is it where we're just going to be given, like, you know, wheat crackers and that's it? Like, you can't have a spicy, you know, nacho cheese anymore? I I think sometimes people think they're doing the right thing because they want to be, like, all-inclusive and... But, but not everything is for everybody. And that's that's my point, too, is, you know... When you're when you're a comedian, you already are taking a chance just by doing what you're doing. So, are comedians going to still take a chance? Is Jim Terry going to still take a chance and be, you know? That's the only thing that's up in the air because we've seen it where people like even comedians are being banned or canceled out because of shit. Just shit they did years ago, that, and not, it's, or even just too. having opinions, whatever. Like the point is. We're in a fucking America, man. Like, we're all individuals, and that's the whole in point this of country. freedom. We all have these freedoms, but then you guys that are crying like bitches about everything and wanting everybody taken off the air, you're the ones that want to make it like this some tyrannical bullshit. Like, dude, learn to sack the fuck up, be your own person, and quit whining. Wow. Go do whatever the fuck you want to do. Damn. Anubis is pissed. Yeah, it just it gets old, man. It's like grow the fuck up already. Like you don't like something, don't watch it. Don't listen to it. Don't what? like fucking heavy metal? Don't listen to it. No one's forcing you. Don't like rap? Don't listen to it. Right. You don't like Hall and Oates or Yacht Rock? Don't listen to it. Yacht Rock? Yacht Rock. <laughs> don't listen to it. Right. It's just it's with anything, man. If there's I've Neko and I get on TV all the time, on the uh, Roku app and everything all the time. There's stuff that we look through and we're like, oh, okay, one episode, nah, this sucked. We're going on something else. And we don't say it sucks because yeah, I'm not going to jump on. Yeah, I'm not going to jump online. Even if I see something that I say, oh, 
They've really laid it on thick here with all the fucking feminism. I'm not gonna get on fucking line and try to cancel that fucking show. It's not meant for me. Are you sure? Yes. You sure you're not gonna be all cancel cultural in them? No. Are you positive? Yep, it's stupid. It's just stupid. Don't watch it. I, I'm kind of where you are, where it's like... It's just dumb. You have a choice as a person, and there's so many choices nowadays. Like, you know, we're a little bit older, and... Anubis is a little bit older than me, and, you know, there used to be, like, you get, like, 15 channels, and that's it. And there was only, like, so many radio stations, and there was only so much choice that you had, and now we have so many things that can entertain us. Just move along. Well, and then... Right? That, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, recently, the Pepe Le Pew thing. Oh, shit. So... They all go, all the whiners and the little bitches and snowflakes go mm -hmm. out and start getting crazy. And like, we can't have this guy in one of our newest movies. We gotta have him out. But never mind the fact that uh, Penelope the cat uh, was like forcing herself on Pepe Le Pew in a few episodes and during that time period. No one wants to talk about that. So it's a cartoon, you dumb fucks. It's a fucking cartoon. No one gives a shit. It didn't influence me in any way to, like, rape women. Fuck you. Grow the fuck up. Quit acting like little bitches. So. That's what their point is. Their point is that Pepe Le Pew is a bad idol for young kids. Yet, there's not anybody I know that's grown up and done negative things to women based on that fucking character. Not one fucking person. Not one. I actually thought, like, I didn't think that the cat didn't like Peppy Le Pew because he was a, a rapist. I thought it was because he was a skunk. Yeah, he stunk. Yeah, that's like, Because the minute, like, he would go and try to smooth her up... And then you'd see the cloud of... <laughs> right! <laughs> She'd get a whiff of that shit and she wanted to get the fuck away. Now, you know, he was all lovey-dovey more than you would think, but he's a fucking cartoon. This isn't real life. It's a cartoon. It's fictional. Well, I also heard that they're going to take away Yosemite Sam's um, guns. And um, there's another There's one. certain things in the cartoon world I understand. I get it. Like Song of the South? Yes, I get it. <laughs> Trust me, I get it. Uh, Neko and I have seen plenty of the old school. And like, we're like, this is really fucking and, racist. Yeah, yeah, so I get it. There's stuff out there, but if you're going to start trying to convince me that fucking skunk, who happens to be French, who happens to like likes a cat and mistakes the cat for another skunk because she got some paint on her, is like somehow raping her or a bad influence on little kids who have no fucking clue about what that means, then you're stupid. You're just dumb. You're an idiot. Plain and simple. You're a fucking idiot. I'm going to leave it at that. Man, that was a lot. Yeah, I know. I just, it just, it kind of irks me. It just, it's so dumb. I can't, I can't get over the stupidity. You can't all. handle the truth. No, there's no truth there. The truth is, they can't handle the truth. They're just being fucking stupid. Jesus. Humans being stupid. All right, into our next block. Got some carnivorous forest that we talked about earlier. Gonna kick it off some brand new stuff from Siley. Symphonic black metal from Belgium. I actually was into this band. From their first album, Irreversible Decay, which came out in 2011. And I always pronounce it wrong. I call it Sile. Yeah. So, I think it was Jasmine yeah. who introduced me to this group. So, this is new stuff from the album 5. It's their fifth album, full length. And uh, here we go. We'll be back in a little bit.
Less angry. Less angry. <laughs>
We are back. DJ Neko. And DJ Nubis. So. So. Tell I, me about it. I came up with a topic the other night. You're so smart. That I, I knew you. that you would be all in on. I was all in on it um, because. In fact, I'll tell you this for those that do not know. This is a little secret. Not really a secret. A little always, inside information. Yeah, I always talk about it. Neko, like when she gets lit, has Ben from Nomos would say, uh, generally just passes right the fuck out. Now I'm watching this all unfold. We're watching this documentary on Audrey Hepburn. Well, I wasn't lit lit. It was late and I had a couple of drinks. Well, That's she, the she problem. Was, she was tired and she had drank, but even when she was kind of fading out, dude, she still woke up to watch this. She's a huge Audrey Hepburn fan. Um, and so I'm going to let her take the reins here. You're letting me take the reins. This is her girl, so... Well, the thing I love is a lot of people don't know much about Audrey Hepburn outside of her movies. Well, we learned a lot of shit out of that, Well, too. I didn't, because I, I... Well, you said you learned a little bit about her activism. No, no, no. I knew she was the UNICEF ambas ambassador. I knew all of that. I What I loved about this, so... You're you're gonna. It's kind of a beginning to end with Audrey. You're gonna see her young. You're gonna see her in her movies. You're gonna see her older. But what I really loved was that was her son, the one guy um, with the glasses. The um, that they had her son involved. They had so many pictures, so many personal pictures, so many personal. Um, what was it back then? It wasn't videotape. It was like archival footage. Like, yeah. It was so much of that stuff. And, you know, Audrey, during World War II, she was a ballerina. And she was, I believe, in the Netherlands. And, um, you know, one of the things that was really true to her heart was the suffering of children. Because when she was... there, You know, World War II in Europe was not fun. We... We hear about it here in the U.S. Like, and apparently her parents were Nazi sympathizers, so that kind of uh, mm -hmm. odds. That's why she. That's why she separated, and that's why she was, you know, go, going to ballet school. And the thing is, like, you know, we we always kind of hear about our parents uh, or our great grandparents and our grandparents. They're talking about rationing sugar, and you get this, and you get that, and. There was literally nothing in Europe because every the fucking Germans had everything cut off. Like, everybody. All of the, you know, people who were involved. I, I always just say the Germans, but, you know, like, Mussolini and all of them. They Everything was cut off in Europe, especially, like... The U.S. would, we were really trying to bring supplies and stuff, too, and it, it was just very, very difficult. Um, so you have Europe with pretty much whatever they can get their hands on. Audrey Hepburn was, you know, recalling her, her time during World War II where they were using, like, tulip bulbs to make flour to eat things because they didn't really have anything to eat and she um you know everybody always kind of comment commented on her very 
thin frame and it was basically she was malnourished for years and a ballerina so malnourished and a ballerina right so on top of that so she just never really you know developed and I believe it was she passed away from from stomach cancer or some kind of like intestinal cancer and it, it a lot of people kind of like deduce it could have been just from like the malnourishment for so many years um but Audrey when you see her she was like different like when she came onto the screen she was different than what was happening. You know, you had like Jane Mansfield, you had Marilyn Monroe, you had um, Grace Kelly, you had all these bombshells, and then here comes this like little mouse of Audrey Hepburn. She's just very slight. She's a brunette, which is way different, you know, than what everybody's seen. Yeah, different than like the Marilyn Monroes and everything else. And she just had this like little slightness about her, and she... I've always loved her. Of course, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and honestly, if you read the Truman Capote, it, it's not the same thing as the movie, but people just, the the book was, or excuse me, the movie was so iconic that nobody ever realizes, like, the movie and the book are so different. That's just, like, any movie book adaptation that you see. But as Anubis was kind of inferring before, she was, after she... I mean, she did some really influential things, like, um, crap, what was the name of that, um, movie she did with Shirley MacLaine? Um. I don't know, but, uh, while you're looking at it, mm -hmm. uh, so the doc has a lot of, like, as Nick will point out, the son is in there, I think there's even, um, daughter, granddaughters, mm -hmm, uh, that was her granddaughter. film critics, historians, Richard Dreyfuss, the actors in there talk a little bit about The it. Children's Hour. It's really good, and it's it's like a very dramatic movie um, that's way not Audrey Hepburn. Like, you think of her as elegant Roman Holiday, Breakfast at Tiffany's, mm -hmm. you know, funny face, and then you get this, The Children's Hour, and it is like a very dramatic movie that ends very dramatically, and it's very different for Shirley MacLaine, too. You think of Shirley MacLaine, she's doing, you know, a lot of musicals. This is phenomenal. Yeah, so um, one of the things that I kind of learned about this because I didn't really know a whole lot about her was that she was, Neko and I was kind of talking about this during when we were watching it, that her character and personal life resembles a lot of actress Emma Watson, at least on the surface that we can tell because... She's private. Very private. Uh, she wasn't like this party gal that you might think she was because of Hollywood. She was very yeah, popular. Yeah, she, she's not Holly Golightly like in, in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Right. So, you know, we hear through these, you know, people that talk about her that, that knew her that, you know, say, yeah, when she was in front of the camera, she could light up the world. But behind it, she was just pretty mellow and normal and you know again we talk about years later when she's kind of done she actually retired from Hollywood at like 40 so she was kind of like done with it all and just wanted to live a normal life so there was I can't remember who it was like some sort of relatives that 
would meet her and say, is she really a movie star? Because she doesn't act like it. Mm -hmm. So that was the whole thing, is that people that were really newer didn't... She had already retired when they met her, and they just didn't even realize, like, they didn't put two and two together that this is the same yeah. Audrey Hepburn as that's in the movies, Audrey right. Hepburn. Right, and, and for a long time, she had to kind of find a place where she can just, like, drift away from the, the limelight, because other places that she lived, paparazzi would always be out there hounding and trying to get pictures, and... You know, in the midst of all this, there's her deeper demons with dealing with her abandonment of her dad mm -hmm. and, like, the men that she was marrying, they weren't very reliable. So, there's all this other shit going on that made it very difficult for her to deal with. And, and then, of course, when I got to her activism, like, I just never knew she was that, like, involved in that. And I guess... For her, it was the, really... starvation, the starvation of children was, like, just so near and dear to her. And she would go to um, places where there was famine and visit them and, and, you know, bring doctors and money and food. And... Yeah, it was really emotional for because then, like, even for all the work that she'd put in, even though she was a big and very instrumental in all the stuff that uh, UNICEF got because of her, like, she really built up their credibility and their their image and everything else but when it came down to like the money she still seemed like distraught that there just wasn't enough to cover mm -hmm. the things that she was seeing because she would literally see bodies of kids and, and people that were dying because of starvation and whatnot. And she would go like on the front lines when people wouldn't go this is like before this is beyond like what photojournalism was she was there she was you know feet on the ground just doing everything she could raising money with unicef trying to get things you know passed and get laws passed and ra just everything to her was she can't believe that as rich as the world is that there isn't enough money to feed children right and so you know, she's just very active, and, like, the funny thing is, she, despite all that, like, she was, when she retired... But she years... basically said, when she was... I'm sorry to cut you off. When she, during World War II, when they were starving, and there was no money, and there was no food, it was UNICEF that rescued her after the war, and that's just kind of, like, what she always stuck with. Stuck with. Yeah, sorry. That's right. So, like, even when she retired early from Hollywood, she was still kind of pursued by the the, the Hollywood and the, the studios because she was a very good actress. Like, she was so sought after that she turned down countless, like, scripts and whatnot. Uh, but that was, that was to show you that she was really at the top of her game when she decided to step away. So I, I think that's something that I find very interesting about her in general because it was never, for her, it was never really about the fame or anything else. She just truly enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, obviously she enjoyed some of the perks from it, but she took a lot of that and used it for her activism. And that sort of reminds me of Emma in a lot of ways, um, which she's, what she's doing as well different different causes in some ways but um similar themes
What I find um, kind of ironic, her granddaughter's name is Emma. <laughs> her her granddaughter is commenting about her 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 grandmother working in UNICEF, and um, there her Audrey, you know, she had you know she dealt with a lot when she was younger, and she dealt with a lot while she was going through ballet training and going through the famine afterwards, but. There's this picture he, that she took, and I, I can't really, like, describe it, but it's her with a, a small child kind of, like, on her back right here. And she always used the same photojournalist. Um, his name was Josh Isaac. And there was, um, American Photo Magazine was doing a special on celebrities and their favorite photos ever taken of them. So she submitted this picture of her right here with the um, small child that she was kind of, you know, giving a piggyback ride to, and um, she submitted that. She didn't submit, like, a Hollywood picture. She didn't submit something from, you know, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's or any of her movies or anything from the Academy Awards. She submitted this as her favorite picture, and they took it, and they sent her a draft, American... Um, American Photo sent her a draft of the article, and they had Photoshop. This is back in 93 when, like, it was a little bit hard to Photoshop compared to what it is now, where you just, like, blink, and it... Right. And they had smoothed her face out, and she said, don't you dare Photoshop my face. I've earned every single one of those wrinkles. And she was very real, like, to her core. And I think a lot of people just don't ever see that in Audrey. Like... You know, I love the name Audrey. We had a kitty cat named Audrey. I love everything about Audrey Hepburn, like this wonderful wounded soul who was just talented and a beautiful dancer and lived through so much with her life and what she had to deal with with her father. And, you know, she's just, that's what made her who she was. And, you know, a lot of people kind of, if you Google, like, the Audrey Hepburn diet or, like, what did Audrey Hepburn eat to stay so skinny, her son has commented on this many times because I guess he gets asked that a lot. Like, do you, what did your mom eat? You know, he's like, her favorite thing in the world to eat was pasta. She ate, but he he believes, and there's never, there's no real, like, concrete proof, but he believes, and so did Audrey, like, just what she went through as a child and, and you know, during you know, trying to be a ballet, ballet dancer in training and, like, literally having tulip bulbs to eat as food, um, it just kind of really malnourished her for life. And he, and they kind of think that might have caused a lot of her, her issues and her cancer, too. Audrey was a very normal, loving kind of person. She was... And that's what's going to get to my next point, mm -hmm. because there's a point in the doc where her granddaughter, Emma... May, uh, literally kind of like starts breaking down because as they learn more about who she was and uh, the quote that she has is my dad said about my grandmother that the best kept secret about Audrey is that she was sad it really makes me sad to think about you know I really think she just wanted love and to be loved and that's something they get to towards the end because for a woman who was constantly trying to find a man that was going to accept her and 
you know, not philander and everything else, she was able to bring out a lot of love to take care of a lot of these kids that you were starving and whatnot. She she had a lot of love to give, just there wasn't much being given back to her by the people that mattered most, mainly her partner. Her husband's, her father, yeah. now, you know. She, I think the last man she was with was one that actually did all the right things, and, of course, unfortunately, she... She passed away in 93. Right. So she wasn't with him as long as the others, but uh, apparently she had spent a lot of time just being sad about stuff not working out the way it should have. The one thing I really liked about this documentary, besides the amazing archival films and photos, you got to hear a lot of her voice. Not, like, movie voice, you know, like, her acting movie voice. You got to hear, like, recordings of her talking about things or making UNICEF speeches or just being genuine. Because, you know, back then a lot of the actresses all had that, like, like, actor voice. You, you know, they kind of, like, put on airs a little bit. But you would hear her speaking just from the heart and you could like really tell she was being true to herself and yeah to her i think because she was so separated from her family and you know she felt just like such a loss that's why like having her son was a big deal like she loved as soon as she had the baby i mean she was retired before she was 40 because she had her son in her 30s or late twenties, early thirties, I believe, and I think they just rounded it mm-hmm. off to around that age. But but she um, like when she had her son, it was that was it, that was like what she wanted. She wanted to be a parent. She wanted to have a family. She wanted to give love to a family. And I think when when she actually got it, and she was like, "This is what I want," and that was more important. That was more important to her than you know. She was on the trajectory to, and she she has the legacy, but she was really on this huge trajectory. She could have done. I mean, she stopped making movies in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Late sixties, I think. Yeah, she could have done twenty more years of movies, but she decided not to because she just loved her family so much. So it's very worthwhile to check this out on Netflix. Um, so I hope I didn't, do, you know, like disappoint you. Anubis like really built it up, like, oh yeah. No, like me watching it. I I did. I love it, and I've read so much about her. And well, that's why I thought it'd be good to talk about it because, like, she, like I, I told her the other night, you know, meeting Neko and when we finally moved in together, she has this picture of Audrey Hepburn, like it's. It's three stills from Breakfast at Tiffany's. I want to say it's something you wouldn't normally see, but for me, it's like I don't know. Um, but it's not like the tr- it's not like the picture from Breakfast at Tiffany's the with the hat and the and the cigarette. It's like three little like candid shots. Well, from- it's not even so much that. It's just that you know, I don't know. It's not like if I had met you and you had a picture of. Black Widow, you know, you're a big comic book fan, and that was your picture. Like, Audrey, despite her fame, it isn't something that most people would have, which I thought was very intriguing and very Really? Cool. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's pretty easy. Okay, hmm, yeah, picture of uh, Brandon Lee and the Crow, yeah, sure. Favorite movie, easy to guess. Uh, oh, Godzilla, yeah, that's easy to guess, too. Uh, but it's not as easy to sit there and say, because, you know, Audrey's been gone a long time now, so... 
obviously Neko has other actors and actresses that she likes, and so we don't get to see any more of those films, but she always does go back to Breakfast at Tiffany's and stuff like that. So I just thought it was very interesting and cool that she had an actual picture of Audrey as, like, her idol. Like, I just thought that was fascinating to me. Still hangs up. Yeah. I love that picture. Well, it's it's a picture, but it's, like, three pictures of doing, like, these, like, cute little candid shots from her and Breakfast at Tiffany's, but it's not, like... They're kind of posed, but they're not like the uh, hat with gloves. And I, um, I really, I mean, another, mo- another, I guess, movie slash actress slash TV actress that I really love is is Mary Tyler Moore. And I, I don't know, I don't have any pictures of her, which I really need one. But it's another dancer, another <laughs> see the dance connection, another like. Uh, forefront type of of woman um i uh i don't know if there's a mary tyler moore documentary out there but i don't think a lot of people realize with her she has she had diabetes really really bad and um but she still kept dancing and still kept acting and was an activist for you know the diabetes foundation because she had it since she was a young person so people like that that really have heart and really have a cause and really, you know, fight with what they believe in. It's kind of like that stupid, (laughs) it's that stupid uh, line and clueless, like, use your popularity to do good. Well, I mean, that's what they did. They, They had some popularity and they really wanted to do good for other people. And I admire people like that because it's so easy to be a Kardashian and just use your popularity to be shallow and get butt implants. But these are women who were fighting for other, you know, more meaningful. Yeah, just like the Betty White thing. Like, Mm -hmm. you would have never known the impact that she had at a young age. Especially with the African-American community. She, she... She said she was going to walk. She's like, I'm going to walk. This is my yeah, guy. Yeah, you can't fire him because I will walk from this show. So that's, those are the kind of interesting things that we like when we watch these kind of docs. So even if you're not really crazy about the topic of this particular segment, the idea is, is that there's interesting things in there that we like to try to convey to Nobody people. knows about Audrey's UNICEF because she kept it. Yeah, on and, the down low. Like, and UNICEF is not like something that's out there in your face. There's not like you don't get that commercial where it's like, please support UNICEF. Please, like it's very low key, but she still had it in her heart because that's who helped her when she needed it, and she took that and moved forward with it and used again used her popularity and her influence to raise money and make awareness. So check it out. All right, back into our music. All three come from some uh, promotional and labels that we deal with. I love this. I love that this entire, like this entire, entire episode. I think all but maybe three. Uh, It's it's been it was a a very label heavy, and I I'm very thankful. I mean, last week I didn't have hardly. I don't think I had any. Well, I made a couple for against. PR was brand new. Uh, We do have a newer label that we'll get to next podcast that also joined our ranks but uh so it's still coming but uh they're just hitting me up with so much shit and like i'm trying to balance between the regular new stuff that we hear plus what they're sending me so but this goes back to what we always say these these smaller independent 
companies, you got to support them. Listen to these in, these independent labels. We're not talking about the big capital, the big what's not the Roadrunner. Yeah, not the Roadrunner. These are these smaller labels that not, are re- not that there's anything wrong with them, but you know we do have a lot of underground bands that we deal with, and they're good. Art, we play good stuff. These art, are not artists, bad bands. Yeah, artists that want to just be heard. Like that's the thing. They send me emails, even just personalized bands that we'll get to in the rock block a little bit you know they just want to hear certain you know they just want people to play their shit so that's what we want to do and that's what we try to do to help people out it's it again it goes back to if you don't support like our buddy len if you if you just support the big names that's all you're gonna get it's just going to be like... And all those independent artists. and They're going to go away. And nobody's going to want to do art anymore. Nobody's going to want to be different. Nobody's going to want to express themselves. Well, not like that. You also, like like you said with Len, like, in any type of entertainment, it's sort of like sometimes how you are discovered. So People nowadays do not remember... Tarantino before he was Tarantino and we remember we remember Tarantino before he was Tarantino when he's putting out his smaller things Pulp Fiction was the blow up he got he got you know he pulled John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson out of the trenches and it rocket rocketed to like another level that's I mean yeah, it's just at some point, you know, we have to be able to, to pick up some of these people because they are talent. I mean, if we're going to just kind of talk about things, Zack Snyder, you know, he started from somewhere, too. Mm-hmm. He wasn't like a household name, like just out of the blue. So it's all he did. The I, I didn't even know it till more recently because I just I don't always pay attention to directors, but he did the remake of Dawn of the Dead, which is fantastic. Oh, you love that. Yeah. So, obviously, I knew about 300 and Watchmen, which are good, great movies, too. So, but you all, you start somewhere. And so, that's the thing. Like, and even with music, you know, some of these bands are form, more familiar with me than I'm, than not. But, you know, the reality is, there's a lot in here that I'm just discovering, as you all are. So, when I hear them and I play them and I check them out, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is great. We need to play this. because yeah, Independent does not mean... You know, not as good as it means independent. It means they're doing this on their own. It means they are reaching out to you without all the big budgets that other people have, and that's why we're like trying to push these these independent labels so that they know, like, hey, we'll play it. So in this block, we have stuff from Metal Devastation Radio Promotions, Everlasting Spew Records, and Grand Sounds kicking it off with Death Chamber.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. Alright, we're back. It's time for the Rock Block. Can we get that on record? <laughs> I don't know. That was kind of nerdy sounding. So <laughs> I need to be like cooler. I need like a cooler like, yeah. You gotta be cool like Blake Harrison doing. I work. know. Oh my God, Blake, I love him. I love. We I talked about how much I loved he and Lindsay last week. Yeah. Those two we over them are phenomenal, and they just like oh, they just. Well, I want to get together shine. with them and just hang. You know, it's been a while. That's part of the problem with the COVID stuff because. I just can't hang with people that I want to be hanging with. Like even forget the concerts, just hanging with people and and, and Blake's talking. had some Blake's had some health issues too. So we don't want to like you know kind of cross the border until everybody feels you know everybody feels safe. Fucking immigrant. I am. I'm <laughs> immigrating over to the non-COVID side, and you're gonna be like you're a carrier. I mean, this is how crazy COVID has been. My um my nephew is four. And he goes to preschool. And it's a very small preschool. It's literally up the street from my parents' house that a lady has in her basement. And she has just a small gathering of children that she teaches and babysits. Well, she got COVID. But she's a legit preschool. She's not like, you know, just somebody doing it under under the table for favors. She is an actual preschool, so she's registered with the county. Well, she has to say, hello, I have COVID. This is what's happening. My sister got a letter from the county basically saying um, that Miss Nancy's, that's the name of it, Miss Nancy's is closed until whatever date because of a COVID, they didn't say outbreak. They said something like scare. Yeah, no, but like it was. Hold on, I gotta find this because she just sent it to me, and I almost peed myself laughing. I'm like, there's there's six children that go to this place, and it's it's turning into some kind of epidemic. That's what they said. A COVID epidemic has shut down Miss Nancy's, and so like now. The kids can't go to preschool. My sister, they they said, please, make sure you isolate. Well, you know, I was thinking about that, and I hate to cut you off. That's okay, baby. But, like, March Madness, they've got a lot of players mm-hmm. out there, and they've had problems in the past where games were canceled because players were getting the COVID and everything else. The vid. That's what we call it, the vid. So, I'm wondering, they're doing this tournament, what happens if a team fucking gets the COVID? Like, they, get, they have to All of them. They have to quarantine for, like, a couple weeks, so, like, I don't it's know. It's ten days after, um... Yeah, so, like, how does that affect you? You're in the middle of a fucking tournament. You can't just pause it. So, like, I guess, because, like, I saw the other day a team, I think it was Duke, maybe, they got players that had the vid, and they had to forfeit the game, so they ended up losing it, because, you know, it was Virginia. Virginia's last game, they had to, they had to forfeit because they got the vid. And so the team they were supposed to play got the win. And that's how Georgia Tech was able to move on in the oh, wow. tournament. Yeah. So obviously Virginia's okay now, and they're all coming back for tomorrow's night's game. But that's the thing. Like, 
if this happens in this tournament, a part of me wonders, like, okay, Virginia just got more cases of COVID, so does that mean they have to forfeit their game against Ohio, and then Ohio just automatically moves on? Like, I don't know how they're going to do that. I'm assuming they will. I wonder if they have, like, a second team that isn't traveling with the team. I like, don't know. a bunch of backups. Well, yeah, but you don't even want that. <laughs> That's, like, horrid. Well, I mean, is it better to put, like... It is better, I would think, to just put something out there, but then I would assume that they all play practice together. That... This is this is Joe. He's an English major. He used to play horse with his friends on the weekends. This is Ahmed. We got him from the, the Killer Terrorist Network. <laughs> so he's going to play in place of this guy. Well, he's going to play in place of the person who's been playing for the last four years and knows what he's doing. It would be like putting me in there. It'd be like, hey, you, get in there. And I'm like... The water girl. Yeah. Uh, me? You want me? Uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's like bad TV or right So this there. is what they said about my, my sister's... Uh, it said, should... Uh, here we go. You're not permitted to seek child care elsewhere during this time. So the kids haven't tested positive for COVID, just the owner of the preschool. That's it. Like, and she isn't even... Well, I'm assuming they do that because you don't see the symptoms mm. right away, but... But nobody's sick. I think the side issue is that she doesn't want to lose business. No, this is from Baltimore County. Oh, okay. This is, look, Baltimore County, and it says, attendees... Yeah, but it says you can't seek it elsewhere, mm -hmm. so does that mean after everything's been cleared that you still can't Well, she's go allowed out? to go... They're allowed to go back to... It's Miss Mel's. I said Miss, Miss Nancy's. Miss Mel's, they're allowed to go back March 28th. So they give you a timeline, like you cannot go anywhere, your child cannot go anywhere for 10 days because they were in contact with Miss Mel, and Miss Mel has COVID. Miss Mel's daughter had COVID before, and Miss Mel didn't get it, but they didn't make Miss Mel's daycare shut down then. It's so crazy. It, it, I, I feel like they changed... Right. Well, okay, I know. I'm just... Off my soapbox, I feel like they change the rules whenever they feel like changing the rules. And well, of then, course they do. Yeah. Yeah, of course they do. Yeah. It's so bananas. And we just want... And that's why this funny thing you brought up the other day with my job. Like, I'm an essential fucking worker. And they haven't offered any vaccines to us. <laughs> like, Or dude. essential worker pay. Or they don't even, like... They don't even, like, acknowledge how important Amazon delivery drivers are. Because... They're delivering groceries and shit. Like, everybody orders everything from Amazon right now. How well, many packages yeah. did you deliver the one day? Like, 300 and some? In three days, it was um, almost I'm like a 1,000 packages. I'm averaging 300 a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's and it's fine, but you have to understand all the people that touch that fucking box from where it starts to where I get it. And, yeah, I, for the most part, we're all fine, but, I mean, I'm just saying that we're in a high-risk fucking area. Mm -hmm. uh, not not counting and that. And you're working, like, way more than you used to. Right. So I'm out there now, and I'm, you know, I'm still not totally, like, coming in contact with people, but occasionally I do. But the, I don't know. It's just, it's really weird that, like, I've seen... The workload is, is bigger, and you're... Yeah, Amazon, Amazon has decided that all of a sudden they don't need a lot of workers and we're going to just upload. They're being more efficient. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, the fact that we haven't got any notices for vaccines or anything is really kind of disturbing. Now, 
whether or not I feel that it actually le legit works, I don't know. Point is, I'm an essential worker, my wife's an essential worker, and neither one of us have gotten it. And I've known people who aren't currently working getting vaccines. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. It's crazy. Now, I'm going on Monday, and I had to literally, like, they just opened up the mega vaccine site, and the only day that had availability was Monday. So I said, okay, not a problem. I'll pick, I'll pick a time. I'm going at four so I can leave work at three, get there by, you know, I'm trying to make sure I got a good enough, whatever. But I, um, I've been trying to find because I've been at, you know, I've, I've got a letter and I've been an essential worker since day one, as have you, but I've had a letter since day one and it's been very hard for me to find an appointment that was anywhere remotely close to where we live. And finally they opened up the uh, stadium, the big mass vaccine site. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take advantage of this. And I think it's actually the Johnson and Johnson one. I may not need to get two shots, which would be awesome. But I find it funny. All these people are posing on Facebook. They're like, yeah, I got my COVID shot and they're holding up their little vaccine <laughs> card. I want to take my yellow card out, which is, has all my vaccines and be like, yeah. that's cute yeah like <laughs> yeah it's, it's that's like one of those gene wilder memes mm -hmm. and it's like oh you got a vaccine well yeah check, yeah, out, my check out mine i'm i'm literally <laughs> tell me more tell me more about your covid vaccine and i'll tell you about the All 27 the that i had to get to travel right. i i i'm a pet they might as well give me a rabies shot i am a pet <laughs> i have an actual vaccination record pet neko <laughs> all right, we got a lot of new stuff in here for you in the Rock Block, all except for Neko's pick coming from uh, promotional label sites. So, got some uh, Mistress in here, Dead Soul Revival, which actually I think Neko's going to really like. because I like the name already. The song itself reminded me a lot of Ghost. So, uh, <gasps> Oh, you know I love Ghost. Uh, I got some back drive in there, War Dogs. We're going to get out with Stonus, Evil Woman. Do you remember that time when I first discovered... Um, ghost and i was like losing my shit i could not stop listening to them i'm she like she must have listened to every single record like in a day while working i was home. like i'm processing invoices and listening to ghost dude do you realize like they're satanic and they're like doing all this shit i was like this is amazing they're they're making fun of satanism nobody gets it but me yeah stonus evil woman and we'll be evil back evil woman i don't think it's that you don't think it's that song
will find a way to the light. Trust your pain. for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics who do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
DJ Nivix. And DJ Neko. Uh oh, 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 uh oh. She's got the hiccups. Got me looking so crazy right here in love. All right, so. I'm always singing. We are now to Neko's pick of the week, and it's probably the slowest song on here. Hey, it's a good song. It is a good song. I really like this band. I love this band, and this I... This is the thing about you, though. You always choose, like, songs like... I mean, not, not this one particularly, but just... Well, the, there's a hundred songs by this band that I could have picked, but I think there's more lighter songs by this band, too. I oh, could, yeah. I could have yeah. picked... Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Or I could have I could have picked the 80s hit... Tell me lies. Tell well, I'm trying me, to think of a lies. Smashing Pumpkins song to do a cover of this. Which Landslide. Really, yeah, that's a beautiful song too. My favorite song by this band is not this song. It's it's a uh, chain. Listen to the wind blow. But there's something about this fucking song that just like gives you an uppercut out of nowhere because the song just starts. It's not like one two. It's like. One and a half, loving you isn't the right... It's just out of nowhere the song starts. And I'm like, hello, I like you. This is a good song. It's pretty upbeat. It's a good tune. And it's got a lot of, like... um, The band was very influential in the 70s. I think what I like about the song is kind of like what I was saying, though. Like, it doesn't follow the rules. You know how you're supposed to, like, have an intro, then you sing, and then you have... They go into right into it. We're getting right into it, and then they they got the like little drum solo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't see the animation I just saw. So <laughs> it's like that Kansas. Uh-huh. <laughs> In the car, you drumming, air drumming. I do it when I hear the rest of the music in our. Our list during the show, so. But I, I feel like this song. I, I really feel like this song is. It's a good example of how you can be a little bit unexpected. Um, I mean, like this is the song is the band is Fleetwood Mac, so everybody's like, yeah, they snort a lot of cocaine, they took cocaine up the ass, they're like insane, and they all hate each other, but they love each other, but they're still singing even though they're divorced, and I love that about them. I love this song because, as as my again, like my favorite song by them is um, the Chain, and it's because that one's like it's got like. A bass and an impact and boom, boom. Wonderful. Dude, Craig Robinson's made me hungry for pizza. I know. They keep playing this commercial Same and I'm like, one. I'm like, I would really like a pizza right now. That would be great. But with the song I'm talking about is, is uh, Go Your Own Way. And I like number one. It's very unexpected. I, I didn't expect it to start the way it did. Yes, it's kind of, it's got like a little bit of yacht rock to it. It's got like that nice light 70s. But then when they start in the guitar solos, it's much more complex than you think it is. And I was just saying about like the drum solos and 
the one thing I love about Fleetwood Mac and um, also a lot of 70s bands, also the Mamas and the Papas, I don't know if I've done anything yet about, the, I'll have to pick a good Mamas and the Papas song. Um, I love how you look at like Fleetwood Mac, you look at Kansas, you look at Boston, you look at Led Zeppelin. Everybody in the 70s was really into like harmonizing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like now instead of harmonizing, they're into auto-tune where they just like kind of take their voice and like overdub it. Um, but this is a song that is simple yet complicated with some of the arrangement that they've done. But when they get into the chorus, they are doing their like three part harmonies and they're still hitting the, the drums like nice and hard. And then they've got like those guitars, like real, really just kind of like giving the balls that you need in this, even though it's a light rock song, you've still got a little bit of oomph into it. And I put this on, I don't know how many times a week and I'm like getting ready for work, bouncing around the house, doing laundry, which I forgot to do. So I'm going to put it in right now and I'm going to go my own way. And I'm like, yeah, I can go my own way. Like, seriously, I get it. I totally get it. I could go my own way. I can call it. <laughs> call you shot. <laughs> but I, every time I hear this song, even though it's kind of a little bit of an argument, you know, he's literally saying you could go your own way. You know, you could, but I don't want to. And it's upbeat. And that's what I love about it. So here is my song, my pick of the week. Fleetwood Mac. You could go your own way. Go your own Y'all know that you're going to get the karaoke every time she does this. I, I karaoke everything. I karaoke the sound of my washing machine, so. Here we go. Neko's pick of the week. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. We will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven. DJ Neko's pick of the week.
everybody. This is Mr. Joshua Gray. You can catch me live Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon Pacific time, playing Mortal Kombat and showcasing different music, highlighting artists, plus catch the 420 DigiFest, 420 Digital Festival featuring four Mortal Kombat players, two exhibition matches live, 1 to 5 Pacific time on 420. You are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Right, many thanks to Joshua Gray providing that line. I've got more I gotta work on. Plus, I gotta get one for Sci-Fi Century made up. I'll do that tomorrow. You guys realize that Joshua Gray is like a legit actor. Like he is. Why are you saying Blake Harrison's not legit? No, I'm saying he's an actor. Like yeah, we yeah. got like a real actor, like a SAG actor. Not, not anybody like us. Not not us. We're us, like us amateurs. Amateur. You just an amateur. Yeah. 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 So um. What's up with Striper? Yeah. So okay, I'm gonna order this actually after we're oh, done Jesus. with the show. Jesus Christo. <laughs> uh, Tom Bujor and Richard Beinstock's new book, Nothing But a Good Time: The Uncensored History of Eighties okay, Hard Rock. But a good time. Can I fucking get it out of my mouth before you sing? <laughs> and I thought I was lit up tonight. Jesus Christ. Oh, I just thought of another song. No. <laughs> so they have a book. Uh, it's about the uh, origins of the hard rock, glam rock era of the 80s. And there's an article on LouderSound.com that touches on one of the bands during that era, Striper. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, for those that are know me well, Striper mm-hmm. was the first concert I ever attended in 1987 at Red Rocks in Colorado. So I could quote DJ Anubis when I'm like, wow, I can't imagine what it was like to uh, see Striper. And, you know, they throw out Bibles and stuff. And he said verbatim i don't have to imagine i was there yeah those were his words and maybe i, I don't yep, know. yep 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 it yep, was, yep it was them and loudness and tnt uh opening up so mm-hmm. actually it was really an amazing concert really when you think about it because they were great performers uh i, I don't want to say them in past tense because they're still putting out records and they're still pretty good but uh one of the things that gets pointed out is they actually, even though they were Christians, they were starting out as their band is just doing a regular sleaze rock and roll. Like they're around there with, like, there's quotes where um, Brett Michaels and Stephen Piercy, both of Poison and Rat, were hanging out talking to Michael Sweet, the singer of Striper, just out on the sidewalk. Like, you know, when you and I go to these concerts with some of these other bands, like, you remember that? the night that we went to see Condemned and Infected with uh, Misery Index and uh, the, fuck what's the other band um, but the, one of the members the from the me, band came running no one of the members came up looking for a place to eat it was, we didn't even know he's one of the members of the band um, but it was a similar situation like that for them because it was right, right before they all exploded onto the scene 
And so, I don't know, at some point the band members decided that they were going to go with the whole Christian angle. And so they, of course, had to spend time convincing agents and whatnot to put them on bills, even with the, like the likes of Rat or whatever, uh, to do their thing. And they were throwing Bibles out back then. It's kind of funny that they had to convince people, like, about the Christian thing. Because if you, like, literally read the Bible, the Bible is, like, insane. I mean, think about, like, the shit that goes on in the Bible, and you're like, oh, I can't, I, we, we can't push the Christian Bible. Well, well I'm And I'm like, get... the fucking Bible is amazing. It's got all kinds of stories. What are you talking about? Well, one of the things that I always felt like was the drawback for Striper when it came to how they presented their music was they were so literal. So it's like, take a great tune like makes me want to sing. Now, this is the one thing about Striper that really didn't bother me as opposed to other Christian groups because these guys could fucking play and they can mm, sing. They, can. They, they were very talented. And the thing that always struck me, though, and this I found this out years later when I listened to bands like P.O.D. or Demon Hunter is that the way that you present your art is the way that kind of garners whether or not you're going to be accepted into the fold. Striper was so literal that, like, a song like Makes Me Want to Sing was like, you know, Jesus, you know. They were just so literal about it that it was, I think it turned a lot of people off at the time. And even when they went to do their album, like, I think it was, like, their fourth album, Against the Law, then they tried to drop the yellow and black, and they were trying to become edgier, uh, more rough-looking, uh, to try to fit in with what was going on. And that kind of pissed off people more than anything, because they kind of, like, were trying to fit in with what was going on while still doing their Christianity. But, you know... When you have bands like P.O.D. and Demon Hunter, when, when they sing songs, even if it's about Christ or, or religious themes, they, they present it in a way that's more open-ended. So it's like it, it's up to the interpretation of the listener to take whatever they can out of it. Um, P.O.D.'s Alive or Demon Hunter's Infected, like there's no mention of Jesus in them. Uh, but they're all very much based in Christianity. So... You could take a song like Alive and say, well, that, yeah, that applies to my everyday life. It doesn't have to be about Christianity at all for me if I listen to that song. Uh, it doesn't matter where the band is writing from. It's just how I convey that message. So for me, looking back on Striper, as great as the music was, it was always the lyrics that was kind of like the turnoff point for me because like, you know, I can't sit there and say, yeah, you know, I was blasting Striper 24-7. I, I couldn't do it because the lyrics were always the hindrance to that. That doesn't mean that I like, even though I love Poison and, you know, Rat and stuff like that, you know, it's not like their lyrics were, like, mind-bending or anything, but at least then I was just, it fit the theme of what was going on with the rebellion of heavy metal and rock. Well, and, see, the thing for me, and I think this is what happens with a lot of Christian bands, is... You know, you and I both grew up in families where we were basically forced to go through a lot of Christian schooling. Oppressed. And we were oppressed. But the fucking Christian stories are insane. The Old Testament is even more insane than the New, New Testament. And 
I feel like if these Christian bands would kind of really, you know, hook into that. Because we look at bands like Enslaved or Amon Amarth, and they're really focusing on their, like, you know, the Viking heritage. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, Odin, fuck yeah, motherfucker. Well, there's so much shit that goes on in the Bible, and half the stuff people don't even really realize. You could totally write a whole, like, you know, anthology well, about yeah, it, and, and it could and be, like, hard and awesome. Like, I haven't really dived into a lot of, like, the last couple of Striper records are pretty strong, and I haven't really dived into the lyrical, the lyrics of them. Mm-hmm. So they may have progressed beyond a point now. I mean, I know that, like, some songs that I've heard, they still mention Jesus, but... Yeah, Jesus is there, but there's so much more than just, like, this right. is the Last Supper. But the fucking crucifixion is insane. Like, you could totally go onto another level with a really, really good record, and you can still be Christian and, and sing about the crucifixion. That's all, that is what Christianity is. I mean... Well, yeah, and even, like... A band like Mortification, who was a Christian death metal band, when they did Scrolls of the Megaloth, like, you know, you're listening to it and you're like, there's no way this is a Christian band, but it is. And, but the way they're presenting it, it's like, oh, it's not just Jesus in your face. It's like they're singing about, as you said, Christian history. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's sort of the difference. And I think that was always kind of like the roadblock with hard rock and glam fans of the late 80s. Now, Take a song, though, like, Honestly, which was, like, Striker's biggest hit from the 80s off of uh, To Hell with the Devil. That song is open-ended. Like, you can... It sounded like Michael Sweet was talking about a girl. But he's actually talking about his relationship with Christ. So, but it was so good and so easy for people to digest that they didn't have to worry about the Christian aspect of it. They can apply it to anything that applied in their life. But... Obviously, this book here is talking about how they were able to go in and create a following. Because even despite their straight straight approach with the Christianity, uh, they were still able to gain a lot of an audience throughout those years. And I remember, like, I must have been 6th or 7th grade. And I was sitting next to a friend who I had known a while. And he had brought in a couple cassettes. And <laughs> that's how old I am. I love cassettes. And uh, the first one, ironically, the first one he was holding was uh, Shout the Devil by Motley Crue. And then the second one he was holding was Soldiers Under Command by Striper. Couldn't be two different bands all together, but they're all part of the same scene. So, I'm like checking them, I'm asking them, like, well, what's the story with these? He's well, Striper's actually Christian. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I said, well, I might have to check that out. And then, of course, Bobby Crew was the one I was like, hmm, yeah, shout out the devil, huh? They look kind of satanic there. Yeah. My dad tells me that's bad for me. I need to check that I out. I need to go on the dark side. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, and really, the, the funny thing is, when we look back on a lot of that, you know, those bands are really tame compared to what we've discovered with black metal and other bands going forward in the last 30 years. Uh... Tipper Gore and company are probably shitting themselves now because of the shit that's They're out They're like, there. Twisted Sister is like tame. Yeah. What the hell? Right. 
But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just, I, I find it interesting that this band was able to make an impression. And one thing that Michael Sweet talks about is uh, we were kind of more drawn to his music than in terms of, like, who their inspiration were because they were much younger, you know, at the time. And he said, my dad's a big Elvis fan, and Jimmy kind of, he, uh, he references, uh, fuck, who's the dude that really, um, Jimmy something, he was a preacher. Uh, Jimmy Swagger. Oh, okay. So, from what Michael said, him and his brother Robert, they would used to watch Jimmy Swagger on TV a lot. So they were inspired, of course, by Christianity by that. But then they were also into music and playing rock. And one of the things they did was they got religious at a young age and, you know, went and created a band. And, of course, at that point, they decided to, to go with the Christian theme. Um, I didn't read it throughout the entire conversation. Actually, it looks like, oh, there's a nice little old clip of them in 84. I'm going to look at that before after we're done. But... I love, like, when you find these old archival clips and you're like... Ugh. Yeah, because that's definitely from Soldiers on Command era. So, I give a lot of credit to Striper because they were trying to do something that no one else was. Now, granted, there were other bands like Petra, uh, Bloodgood, who were doing similar things. But this was after the fact that Striper started gaining attention within the hair rock theme, or uh, scene. Uh... So the fact that they were sticking by their guns during the entire time was great. Um, you know, to my knowledge, they weren't really guys that fell off the cliff. I know they probably had some family issues at some point, because everyone does. But uh, to to my knowledge, they didn't like just all of a sudden decide one day that Christianity wasn't for them. You know, they they still do it today. Uh, so I much. So they weren't like making it. Like a scene. No, it was it wasn't fake for them. It yeah. was all legit shit. And uh, kind of funny story. Probably in the early nineties, after the band was kind of fading out and the whole hair rock stuff was fading out, uh, Michael had done uh, a solo record, and he might have done more than that, but I just remember the first one he had. And I was trying to think of a gift from my dad, and I said, "Well, you know what? I'll think of this." Michael, it wasn't like striper type stuff, it was just, it was rock, but it was Michael doing solo stuff. So I said, well, maybe my dad will like this, and then surprisingly my dad came right to me and said, yeah, that's a really good record, I liked it. Like, well, that's yeah. kind of surprising. Yeah. So, but, you know, part of the lure for my dad was, because it was Christian, like, that's the whole thing, like, despite his own flaws, like, you know, that's the kind of stuff that he likes listening to, so tried to cater to that but you know when I think back to all the bands that I listened to Doc and Rat Van Halen whatever did you see your mom took you to see Striper yes she did time? yeah in fact I didn't have a choice it was kind of like our wedding uh, <laughs> you know I had to go with my two sisters who they they didn't mind Striper but they weren't as big as into music as I was at the time but they were forced to go with me because my mom was going and I was going and they felt left out um, Did they get Bibles, too? Well, we were too far back for... <laughs> Actual Bible grabbing. Right. But, uh, you know, it was fun for them at the time. But 
Red Rocks is a great place to see concerts. I too. hope that one day I get to see a concert at Red Rocks because, you know, you're not the only person who has told me that seeing a concert at Red Rocks is like phenomenal. They the acoustics and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's the side of a mountain, so it's it's amazing. Yeah, just the visual. Like if you go a great time of the year. And then, like, the sunset. Yeah. Why won't that sunset? That's why I saw Clash of the Titans, and, like, I was on acid, and that was, like, even ten times the beauty of it all. But, uh, yeah, you know, I saw a few concerts there, I think. Saw Clash of the Titans there, definitely saw. Didn't you say Gray you, White. you saw, um, Stone Temple Pilots, or was it Alice in Chains opened? They were there, Clash of the Titans. For Clash of yeah. the Titans, yeah. And that was actually where I gained, like, a appreciation for ASC then, because I remember hearing about them on the radio, and then the, the album I saw in the stores, and I'm like, well, I'm debating, because, you know, Man in the Box was okay, but then, like, I went to Clash of Titans, and they didn't really tell you who the opener was. They're like, like and others. I love how they did that. Right. And others like is you what you always you, got. They gave you Anthrax, Slayer, Megadeth, and then it didn't tell you who the other one was. And I think I talked about it in the past. That initial tour was supposed to have Death Angel opening, which would have been fucking Oh, sweet. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it was actually more interesting because the rest of the band said, like, actually told their agents or their whoever was running the tour that they wanted Alice in Chains on the opening act. They really liked the band. So that that just goes to show you that it wasn't just something that was forced upon them. They they actually wanted it and they gave a lot of kudos to uh, Staley and company for sticking it out and doing the well as well as they did because I remember that show where you know, people were just tossing shit at them while they're playing. And they're like, fuck you! They're like, you know, this is this is supposed to be like a thrash, you know, fest. We're here with this guy, this band here, doing this crazy alternative rock stuff. So, but Staley is just the, con you know, the consummate professional. He's sitting there singing, the band's playing, shit's flying by him, and he, without missing a beat, he's just like... Ah, you miss me, motherfucker. And then he goes back into singing the song. And I just thought that was the funniest fucking thing. I'm like, dude, that is so much balls right there. Just to, like, not even let it sweat you. You're just going to keep playing while they're tossing shit at you. And I, I just, I just, total appreciation for the band. Then when I actually heard Facelift, I was like, dude, there's a lot of great tunes on this. Like, it's not metal, obviously, but... This is some cool shit. Like, I had never heard anything like it. It was very dark, somber. Uh, especially during a time period that I, that was happening for me. It totally clicked. But, uh, yeah, I saw Great White, Kicks, and Tesla there. And that um, had actually been the second time I'd seen Kicks during that two-year period. Uh, so they were really hot back then. I didn't realize they were from Baltimore at the time. But, uh... Are they the ones who had the um, the incident inside of the club with the? Uh, That's great white. Yeah. Oh, great white. Yeah. 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 yeah Kicks is the one that you they do funny money. You got me the CD of. So, yeah, I, you know, if you're even if you're not a big Christian Christian person or into Christian music, 
I've always advocated that you just go and listen to the music because these guys can play and they can still play now. Like the last couple of records, like I said, are really good. Um, one of their best songs they did, like I think it wasn't this past album, but the one before called The Valley, which is actually borderline heavy metal. Like it's like they upped their game a bit and um, they're just good. And they really are. Like if you can get past some of the lyrics, which. To be honest, when it comes to black metal, I have to actually look past a lot of lyrics because they just don't mean anything to me. I'm not a Satanist, so... Or a Christian. Right, so, like, if I'm going to bust on Striper for lyrical content, then I'm going to bust on black metal for the same reasons because I just it doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, obviously, dark lyrics go well with metal because it's, again, that rebellion thing mm -hmm. and everything else, but check them out. Very good band. I'm going to check out this book, uh, certainly, because I like stuff like that. So you're ordering? I will be ordering that book. It's only <laughs> like 18 bucks. I don't care. I just, I, I love, because in our little family, I'm the reader. Like, I can put down a book in like a night, and he takes weeks. Well, it, it depends on what it is. Like... I've gotten books in the past about music, and whether it's Beast, uh, the Ian Christie book, or Sound of the Beast, and then uh, the Swedish death metal book. But or see, you you like Mickey when we're you like more like documentary yeah, books. You right, like right. nonfiction. Right. So when it comes to fiction books, you're like, eh, read it to me, and I'll read it to you. And you'll sit there like just listening and it's like my personal audio. <laughs> Well, I think I think that works for you because I'll do like the voices and so I'll be like, and you're like, yeah, yeah. I but when it comes to things that you're interested, it, it it could be football, it could be metal, it could be just something random like sharks, sharks, yeah. you know, Reebok shoes, anything that you find interesting, he'll consume that, and that he he's more of a nonfiction reader. Whereas me, I love fiction. I'll be like, flip, 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 flip. Yeah, flip, I love flip. fiction, but it just, you know. You need more, for fiction, you need more of the visual. Yeah. So when I read, because we were both reading a book at the same time. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And I finished it, like, before I even came home from a job. And I came Three home. Three months later. Yeah, and he's like, I'm not done yet. So I sat and I read it to him, but I think for, like, his visualization when I'm like reading it and giving it some kind of inflection he could kind of like visualize it in his head as a movie and trust me Hellhound would be a great movie right yeah. right yeah Lou's got a, a knack for it. I mean I still feel bad I haven't got to some more recent releases cause oh I know that NECA's read at least what was the butterfly mm -hmm. one yeah so she's a really talented author and I have two that I need to read of hers Banish is a recent one. I haven't read that one yet, and I haven't read uh, with the Darkened Souls. Wait a minute, did I read? Did I read, did I I I read I the Dark? You, yeah. I think I read the Darkened Souls. I think I need to read Banished. Is the only one yeah. I need to read. I bought um, before she before you became a Patreon and before she mailed them to us. I actually bought them on Kindle, and I read like a lot of times while I was traveling just having my Kindle and reading it is comforting, you know, just flip through and read. And I was, I mean, it, she's such a wordsmith. 
Is that is that the right way to put it? Like yeah. she can put she can put together a story that Well, that's the talent of it all because like when I think about stuff that I would like to write, like I don't have the patience or the know-how to really she's such an there. imagination, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. Well, yeah, Hellhound is actually a very original take on the werewolf lore and like I wish I feel like she could do she could do a follow-up. Oh yeah. To Hellhound. There's, I've told her. I've told there's her. like stuff that happens at the end and I'm like, I want more. Like there could be Or she could just broaden that whole universe. It could be yeah, it could be a Hellhound universe. Yeah. I I really like the way that she writes and she's got a couple of short stories. I've read through those and um Darkened Wings Flutter. I yeah. really, really liked. And Hellhound, I really liked. I don't think I read Vanished yet. I think that's the only one that I haven't read yet. But well, she has some older stuff that I haven't gotten to either, and I know you haven't. But no, no, no I read The Forest. Did you? Yeah. Well, she has the, some older. The Forest like, kind of. She has one called Carnivore, I think, or something like that, which is actually about dinosaurs, I think. But oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that. Oh, you see, The Forest kind of is a shorter story, but it kind of leans toward like what's happening. In Darkened Wings Flutter, like, it's kind of like a similar take on things. Anyway, but I, um, I appreciate her creativity. Like, you were saying, you and I are not authors, but she takes our, our imagination and she puts it into a story. So... If you enjoy horror or monsters, thrillers, thrillers, look up Lou Yardley. My favorite so far, honestly, is Darkened Wings Flutter. I and Hellhound is number two, and I don't think you read Darkened Wings Flutter yet, but I um, I haven't. I just haven't read it. I read it, but I I think those two are her her like superstars, and I honestly, if you look up Lou Yardley, go on her um, website, order her book. You will not be disappointed. Trust me. I'm a fiction reader. I love to read fiction. I read I read everything from like the smutty, horrible fiction like that you pick up in the grocery store in the checkout line to, you know, a little bit more sophisticated stuff like Michael Crichton or whatever. But I feel like Lou could really take her stories and, and put them to another level. They could be, you know, miniseries on Netflix or something, especially Hellhound. How I mean, I think that would be very well received, don't you? Yep, definitely. I talk too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, love, I love you, Lou. Yeah, we love you. That's why we're giving you posts. That's what it is. I love you, Lou. All right, to our next block, uh, new stuff from Winter Witherfall and Secret Sphere. But Angels PR has provided us with a band called Veritas with Starlight. Ooh, I love that. I like that name, Veritas. Yeah, here we go.
This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Have confirmed that the body of the man found dead in the Fenway marshes yesterday afternoon is that of Timothy Delahunt, an undercover policeman for the city of Boston. This was the scene yesterday when Delahunt's body was found in the marshes near the Fenway. As for who did this or why, that's something police are working on right now. If you have I don't any believe information it. about this murder, what can't you believe? I spent all fucking night dragging the poor bastard in there. Tell me how they find him so fast. Somebody walking a fucking dog in three feet of mud. What kind of fucking size a dog is that? Has to be a big fucking dog, man. I spent all fucking night doing it, man. I'm embarrassed. I still don't believe he was a cop. I don't believe it. The cops are saying he's a cop. So I won't look for the cop. Are you soft, Fitz? When I tell you to dump a body in the marsh, you dump him in the marsh. Not where some guy from John Hancock goes every Thursday to get a fucking blowjob! Don't laugh! This ain't reality TV! <laughs> DJ Nivens! And DJ Nico! You are here with the Retro DVD Movie Vault. The Departed. That was a clip from The Departed. Neko's pick of this week. I don't have enough words to explain how much I love this movie. I I mean, when it first came out, I watched it nonstop. And then it turned into my yearly St. Patrick's Day thing. But I think even though I watch it every year on St. Patrick's Day, I've probably watched it like 12 times this year. Love this movie. Love it so much, I want to have its babies. I, I don't know. I love this movie. Yeah, it, it's really a really great movie by uh, Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. Scorsese, excuse me. Um, it has so many great actors in it. Uh, it's really retarded just how good it is. I mean, the main three that I consider is Jack Nicholson, uh, Mark Wahlberg, and Matt Damon. And not Leonardo DiCaprio? Who did I say? Oh, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. And, but that uh, shows you just how many of them are in there. Like, I actually, Leonardo should have been over Mark. Oh, uh, yeah. Just because of the size of the role. Well, we always... Scorsese, you know, he, he got the best picture and all for this, but Leo got snubbed, and I forgot what it was. It was for something, like, not... And... When The Revenant came out, that's when he got his, like, best actor thing, but he should have gotten best actor for this. Yeah, I, well, the funny thing is, Leonardo's, man, he's done so many great roles. Uh, Titanic. Well, just... Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, in general, but, like... The Departed. <laughs> but then, like, it seemed like The Revenant was kind of like a makeup. It's like a, it's like an official makeup call, you know? It's like, oh, we That's exactly up. what it was. Uh, because really... As good as he was in The Revenant, uh, 
Tom Hardy was better, I thought. Like, just in terms of they're able to portray the character. Because I didn't even recognize Tom Hardy in that film, and he just did a phenomenal job with that. But, I mean, with this movie, how many more people had to do more... I don't want to say more acting, but more, like, emotional acting than Leo. I mean, he was amazing. You could feel his trauma. You could feel, like, his... He's fighting good and bad. He's fighting, like, you know, I, I do think he really did like Frank, Jack Nicholson's character. Well, set up the plot for people that have not seen it. So, Frank Costello... Jack Nicholson. ...is kind of like the godfather of Boston. And he has his own little mafia. Now, what happened internally was Frank got a hold of Colin, who is Matt Damon... And, uh... At a young age. At a young age. I mean, like, probably 11. Yeah. yeah. And Colin started hanging out with Frank. And Colin is a smart kid. And he ended up going through state trooper school and ended up being a sergeant. in In the stateies, as they call it. Now, Leo who is uh, Bill Costigan, he is one of those people that are, they, um, Mark Wahlberg makes a comment about him. He said, you're, you're not a trooper. You're an astronaut. You scored, you know, 1600 on the SATs. So do you want to be a cop or would you like to appear to be a cop? And, and Bill, a.k.a. Leo, says, I want to be a cop. And they put Leonardo DiCaprio deep undercover. So. Yeah, I think his main boss was Martin Sheen. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So Martin Sheen is over Marky Mark um, in the uh, hierarchy but they have the deep undercovers, and everybody knows it. Everybody in the department knows it. And um, But the thing that makes Leo's character so, I guess, enticing for them is Leo has some shithead cousins, and... Yeah, Leo's character has a lot of... Layers. Controversial past, so... You know, he's smart, but he's gotten into trouble. He's, he's well, no, he didn't get into trouble. His family has gotten into right. trouble, so they use that right. to get him it's in. Yeah. But the one thing that was interesting when um, they they got Leo on, like, a simple assault, and he had to go to jail. And he gets out, and he ends up, fighting to get into Frank's... That's actually was laid as groundwork. That was the whole plan, because in order to convince you know, Frank Costello and other people of the ilk, like his lower henchmen... That that, he's legit. Right. He had to have some sort of, like, incarceration, because they knew that his 
his dad was a cop? Was that was it? No, his dad was straight laced. Oh no, what it was was Leo had actually gone through police academy. Yeah. So and, and, and they, a lot of they, people they knew made that. it they made it so that it looked like he failed. Right. And then he got arrested. Right. But his he has an uncle who was kind of dirty. He has a cousin who was kind of dirty. And Leo um his dad was never dirty. His dad worked for the airport. He worked for TSA and just wanted to work and be happy and live life. And um, that's one thing that Frank said. He's like, you know, you're, you know, I can do something with somebody who wants money, but your dad, he, he, you know, respected something higher. Excuse me. And um, so, what was interesting when Frank first kind of befriended um, Bill was, he said, if your uncle Jackie or your dad saw me. They would both kill me, and they could do it. So Frank, even though Frank was the godfather of Boston, he also had a little bit of respect and fear for Bill because he knew that Bill had, like, ties to his family, and he knew that Bill was like, hmm, I could kill you if I wanted to. And Bill even said that at one point to Frank. He's like, Frank, how many of these guys have you had on your team for so long that they could be disgruntled and they could try to kill you? Bill worked his way with Frank for many years. I mean, I think it's over a period of two years or so. And Frank trusted Bill so much that when... Spoiler alert, this came out like in 2006, so I'm spoiling it. When Frank died, he had trusted Bill so much as a friend that he sent things to Bill that he wouldn't have sent to other people. So everything in this is like full circle, and it blew my mind from day one. Yeah, there's a lot of cat and mouse stuff um obviously matt damon's character sullivan's the one that frank costello put you know rooms from his days in the soda fountain shop but he still doesn't trust him enough as much as he does bill right but he puts him through you know police academy and all that he becomes fbi that's where frank Mm. gets all his deep information no so colin Sullivan is not FBI. He's still in the Stadies. And Frank, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) went down the wrong hole. Colin finds out because Bill finds out from another undercover cop that he didn't realize was undercover that Frank is an FBI informant. So Bill starts telling um, Martin Sheen, who is the captain, that, hey, listen, Frank is an FBI informant. That's why he's untouchable. That's why every time we try to put a case against him, it doesn't happen. So when poor Martin Sheen meets his demise and uh, Colin Sullivan finds Martin Sheen's book after he passes away... 
and realizes that Frank's an FBI informant, he's scared shitless because he doesn't realize that Frank is informing on everything that is going on inside the state, inside the stadies. Yeah, it's it's more paranoid than anything because Frank wasn't looking to cut ties with Colin at all, but... But he's protecting himself. Well, that's what I'm getting to. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Go talk, talk, sorry. So, like, the whole time that Frank's doing his little enterprise, he's got resources with Colin because Colin can give, tip him off to anything that's happening, any kind of bus, whatever. And he's, like, pull off these tails and stuff, yeah. But when it becomes clear that Colin, or that Frank isn't going to get out of a certain situation because he doesn't, Colin doesn't realize that Leo's character is actually uh, working. He, he understands there's someone inside. But uh, he doesn't realize that Bill is the inside guy so until after. Right, he doesn't have any of the information. So as he's trying to protect Frank, Leo's doing the opposite. And thus, when Frank is in a basically cornered like a, a badger and can't get out of it, that's when Colin takes it upon himself to say, look, did you tell the cops anything about me? Because at this point, it's self-preservation for Colin, uh, not realizing that Frank had been lying to him about being... And he's like, I didn't say anything about anybody who wasn't going to go down. And then he's like, you rat prick! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he ends up just killing Frank himself uh, and then taking the credit for it as being the hero to the rest of the uh, precinct. Um, in the midst of all this, we also have, uh, uh, a triangle love affair between Colin and his, uh, and, uh, his girlfriend who is a, what would you call it, a psychiatrist mm-hmm. for, uh, police and, uh, inmates. And thus, it's played by Vera Farmer again. We always made a joke about her going on to be in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, as a, uh, <laughs> creating New Orca and everything, but... She uh, also is also the uh, therapist for Leo's character who comes in because he was in prison. So the whole idea was she was there to try to help him deal with the prison life and everything else. And then, of course, they become close because Colin's character is kind of distant. And she needs uh, Bill as much as Bill needs her. Like, she realizes that Colin is distant, as Anubis said, and she gets, like, in her gut, she knows that there's something off. Yeah, so, eventually, um, because, as Neko pointed out, um, Leo had some tapes from Frank, uh, and his wires and everything that, and from, uh, Colin as well, that he sent out, and... (laughs) He sends one to Colin, which uh, Vera Farmiga's character picks up and starts playing while he's in the shower. And she's now realizing this is after uh, the death of Leo's character. And the death of Frank. And Frank. And realizes that her boyfriend is dirty. And so, obviously, that is the end of their relationship and I think she was pregnant with mm-hmm. uh, Leo's kid. Well, they don't ever they don't say clarify, but there was a part of the movie where when she was at the funeral. Well, was, no, no, no. At the where Colin was having a hard time having sex. Yeah. 
And then, you know, there was a time where Leo and her consummated their relationship, and then she finds out she's pregnant, you know, a few weeks after that. And, um, I think, if anything, she probably wanted it to be Bill's kid more than she wanted it to be Colin's because she felt like Bill was more honest to her than Colin ever was. Yeah, she understood why Bill couldn't be totally honest because he was undercover, but at the same time, he was honest about his feelings and everything else, and he saw some of the issues she was dealing with. But both Neko and I, and again, spoilers, one of our key and most happy moments is at the end when Colin has basically been declared hero for taking out Frank. And uh-huh. There's one guy who hasn't he, let anything go. Yeah, he, he disappeared for probably 45 minutes of the movie. And uh, our buddy Marky Mark shows up, Sergeant Dingham, and... He already knows. He started to put shit together with his, uh-huh. his good friend and... Uh, his brain, boss, yeah. Martin Sheen, and then realizes that, you know, Leo's character uh, was ousted probably in the same way, and he decided to take matters in his own hand. He knew what was up, and... I love the part for, uh, he's like... Okay, fuck. And then he just dies, and bang, bang. And Marky Mark walks out like nothing happened, and then there was a fucking rat who crawls across his porch. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of symbolism in there. Oh, God. If you have never seen this movie, you need to watch it. Yeah, if you're big into gangster stuff like Goodfellas and other stuff like that, I mean, it's not, like, totally gangster, but uh, it's really, really well acted, really well, good story, good plot, and Nicholson basically takes every character he's ever played and puts it into this particular character. Yeah, we we, all, we were joking it about it. It bleeds out through various <laughs> scenes that he does. He, he looks like the Joker in a couple of scenes because his hair is all fucked up and he's like... Just, he's got that face and the accent and he's got the big old smile. And I'm like, when he does something like that, he's got the insanity. Just, I mean, he's got the Joker and the one flew flew over the cuckoo's nest, like, all combined in one. It's, I have loved this movie since it came out. And I've watched it. And I think when... You know, Anubis and I have watched it together before, but not quite as intensively as we did this last time. And I did not realize how I could quote pretty much this entire movie as we're watching it. And he's like, I would say something and the movie would say something and I would say the same thing as the movie. And he would look at me and I'm like, I can't help it. I have to like act it out as it's happening. I love this movie. And I don't even know why I love this movie so much. It just, like, hits me right in the heart. And I I thought that I was right. This is actually sort of a remake um, of a a movie from Hong Kong called Infernal Affairs in 2002. uh, But the, the, I believe it's Roger Ebert doing a review of this. He does make a point to say, uh, Scorsese made this movie all his own because the actors are making their own. Like, it's a far superior product. But Brian Costello 
is based off of the movie Black Mass, which is right. the other Frank. And then when we watched Black Mass, I was like supremely disappointed, which makes me sad. I think a lot of people were. But uh, yeah, we highly recommend this, and we are glad to have it in our DVD vault because it's just a classic, timeless movie. So, have you thought about your next one? Yeah. Do you want to give a spoiler yet? Let me see how I want to do this. Um, give him an actor. Nah, too easy. Uh. Okay. Give him a decade. Now, what I'll say is, um, the movie deals with. An eye patch. Okay, we'll leave it at that yeah. since she wouldn't let me do it, but you get that's what you get. <laughs> An eye patch. It's Captain Jack Sparrow, motherfuckers. <laughs> I don't think you had an eye patch. But yeah, we'll, we'll, you'll find out going into next week what that is. All right, back into our music. This is going to be a, a great block dedicated to NECA because it's like sort of like doomy stuff. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Kicking it off. Brand new stuff. Phantom Druid. Electric Don't make me Sky. Sad. Don't make me sad. I don't want doom. It's not sad. It's all good. It's good. It's good. And it's good. <laughs>
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up.
right, a couple tracks here from Vlad, our boy Vlad, providing that from uh, Nataka and Tatulu. So we love that. What was that? It was Tatulu. Whatever. Uh, want to thank everyone for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode. A lot of fun doing it as usual. We're very thankful for all of our sponsors. Or is that what we call them? Not sponsors. Or... <laughs> what do we call them? Our uh, our friends. Our friends. Provo promotional. Our labels. promotional friends. Yes. Because we got some good ones this episode. We get good ones every episode. But I mean, this was like the shit. This was like the shit. It was like all of promotional except for Fleetwood Mac, which was mine. What, you know? Sorry, sorry, my bad. Sorry, man. Sorry. My bad. I had a really good time. I mean, like she's ready to pass out. I am. I have been up since you know four, and. <laughs> <laughs> and my cat and I are just snuggling and but besides that I this is our time like for Anubis and I to just listen to music reflect on music talk to each other enjoy everything and it has been a very fun a very like impactful we had so much this episode what did we have? We had Audrey Hepburn. We had The Departed. We had how many promotional labels? How many new songs? It was phenomenal. Good episode as usual. Much appreciated for the following. Uh, many thanks to you all. Got one last track for you. Brand new stuff from The Crown. It's called Let the Hammering Begin. And we will see you all next time around. Thank you. <laughs>